Section 9 of Volume 1F of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Dennison. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1F, Section 9, Chapter 64, Part 5. The Scottish nation, though they had never been subject to the arbitrary power of their prince, had but very imperfect notions of law and liberty, and scarcely in any age had they ever enjoyed an administration which had confined itself within the proper boundaries. By their final union alone with England, their once hated adversary, they have happily attained the experience of a government perfectly regular, and exempt from all violence and injustice. Charles, from his aversion to business, had entrusted the affairs of that country to his ministers, particularly Middleton, and these could not forbear making very extraordinary stretches of authority. There had been intercepted a letter, written by Lord Lorne to Lord Duffus, in which, a little too plainly, but very truly, he complained that his enemies had endeavoured by falsehood to prepossess the king against him. But he said that he had now discovered them, had defeated them, and had gained the person, meaning the Earl of Clarendon, upon whom the chief of them depended. This letter was produced before the Parliament, and Lorne was tried upon an old tyrannical absurd law against leasing-making, by which it was rendered criminal to belie the subjects to the king, or create in him an ill opinion of them. He was condemned to die, but Charles was much displeased with the sentence, and granted him a pardon. It was carried in Parliament that twelve persons, without crime, witness, trial, or accuser, should be declared incapable of all trust or office, and to render this injustice more egregious, it was agreed that these persons should be named by ballot, a method of voting which several republics had adopted at elections, in order to prevent faction and intrigue, but which could serve only as a cover to malice and iniquity in the inflicting of punishments. Lauderdale, Crawford, and Sir Robert Murray, among others, were incapacitated, but the king, who disapproved of this injustice, refused his assent. An act was passed against all persons who should move the king for restoring the children of those who were attainted by Parliament, an unheard-of restraint on applications for grace and mercy. No penalty was affixed, but the act was but the more violent and tyrannical on that account. The court lawyers had established it as a maxim, that the assigning of a punishment was a limitation of the crown whereas a law forbidding anything, though without a penalty, made the offenders criminal, and in that case they determined that the punishment was arbitrary, only that it could not extend to life. Middleton, as commissioner, passed this act, though he had no instructions for that purpose. An act of indemnity passed, but at the same time it was voted that all those who had offended during the late disorders should be subjected to fines and a committee of Parliament was appointed for imposing them. 
these proceeded without any regard to some equitable rules which the king had prescribed to them the most obnoxious compounded secretly no consideration was had either of men's riches or of the degrees of their guilt no proofs were produced inquiries were not so much as made but as fast as information was given in against any man he was marked down for a particular fine and all was transacted in a secret committee when the list was read in parliament exceptions were made to several some had been under age during the civil wars some had been abroad but it was still replied that a proper time would come when every man should be heard in his own defence the only intention it was said of setting the fines was that such persons should have no benefit by the act of indemnity unless they paid the sum demanded every one that chose to stand upon his innocence and renounce the benefit of the indemnity might do it at his peril it was well known that no one would dare so far to set at defiance so arbitrary an administration the king wrote to the council ordering them to supersede the levying of those fines but middleton found means during some time to elude these orders and at last the king obliged his ministers to compound for half the sums which had been imposed in all these transactions and in most others which passed during the present reign we still find the moderating hand of the king interposed to protect the scots from the oppressions which their own countrymen employed in the ministry were desirous of exercising over them but the chief circumstance whence were derived all the subsequent tyranny and disorders in scotland was the execution of the laws for the establishment of episcopacy a mode of government to which a great part of the nation had entertained an unsurmountable aversion the rights of patrons had for some years been abolished and the power of electing ministers had been vested in the kirk session and lay elders it was now enacted that all incumbents who had been admitted upon this title should receive a presentation from the patron and should be instituted anew by the bishop under the penalty of deprivation the more rigid presbyterians concerted measures among themselves and refused obedience they imagined that their number would protect them three hundred and fifty parishes above a third of the kingdom were at once declared vacant the western counties chiefly were obstinate in this particular new ministers were sought for all over the kingdom and no one was so ignorant or vicious as to be rejected the people who loved extremely and respected their former teachers men remarkable for the severity of their manners and their fervour in preaching were inflamed against these intruders who had obtained their livings under such invidious circumstances and who took no care by the regularity of their manners to soften the prejudices entertained against them even most of those who retained their livings by compliance fell under the imputation of hypocrisy either by their showing a disgust to the new model of ecclesiastical government which they had acknowledged or on the other hand by declaring that their former adherence to presbytery and the covenant had been the result of violence and necessity and as middleton and the new ministry indulged themselves in great riot and disorder to which the nation had been little accustomed an opinion universally prevailed that any form of religion offered by such hands 
must be profane and impious the people notwithstanding their discontents were resolved to give no handle against them by the least symptom of mutiny or sedition but this submissive disposition instead of procuring a mitigation of the rigors was made use of as an argument for continuing the same measures which by their vigor it was pretended had produced so prompt an obedience the king however was disgusted with the violence of middleton and he made roths commissioner in his place this nobleman was already president of the council and soon after was made lord keeper and treasurer lauderdale still continued secretary of state and commonly resided at london affairs remained in a peaceable state till the severe law was made in england against conventicles the scottish parliament imitated that violence by passing a like act a kind of high commission court was appointed by the privy council for executing this rigorous law and for the direction of ecclesiastical affairs but even this court illegal as it might be deemed was much preferable to the method next adopted military force was let loose by the council wherever the people had generally forsaken their churches the guards were quartered throughout the country sir james turner commanded them a man whose natural ferocity of temper was often inflamed by the use of strong liquors he went about and received from the clergy list of those who absented themselves from church or were supposed to frequent conventicles without any proof or legal conviction he demanded a fine from them and quartered soldiers on the supposed delinquents till he received payment as an insurrection was dreaded during the dutch war new forces were levied and entrusted to the command of dalziel and drummond two officers who had served the king during the civil wars and had afterwards engaged in the service of russia where they had increased the native cruelty of their disposition a full career was given to their tyranny by the scottish ministry representations were made to the king against these enormities he seemed touched with the state of the country and besides giving orders that the ecclesiastical commission should be discontinued he signified his opinion that another way of proceeding was necessary for his service this lenity of the king's came too late to remedy the disorders the people inflamed with bigotry and irritated by ill usage rose in arms they were instigated by guthrie simple and other preachers they surprised turner in dumfries and resolved to have him put to death but finding that his orders which fell into their hands were more violent than his execution of them they spared his life at laneric after many prayers they renewed the covenant and published their manifesto in which they professed all submission to the king they desired only the re-establishment of presbytery and of their former ministers as many gentlemen of their party had been confined on suspicion wallace and learmont two officers who had served but in no high rank were entrusted by the populace with the command their force never exceeded two thousand men and though the country in general bore them favor men's spirits were so subdued that the rebels could expect no further accession of numbers dalziel took the field to oppose their progress their number was now diminished to eight hundred and these having advanced near edinburgh 
attempted to find their way back into the west by pentland hills they were attacked by the king's forces finding that they could not escape they stopped their march their clergy endeavored to infuse courage into them after singing some psalms the rebels turned on the enemy and being assisted by the advantage of the ground they received the first charge very resolutely but that was all the action immediately they fell into disorder and fled for their lives about forty were killed on the spot and a hundred and thirty taken prisoners the rest favored by the night and by the weariness and even by the pity of the king's troops made their escape the oppressions which these people had suffered the delusions under which they labored and their inoffensive behavior during the insurrection made them the objects of compassion yet were the king's ministers particularly sharp resolved to take severe vengeance ten were hanged on one gibbet at edinburgh thirty-five before their own doors in different places these criminals might all have saved their lives if they would have renounced the covenant the executions were going on when the king put a stop to them he said that enough blood had already been shed and he wrote a letter to the privy council in which he ordered that such of the prisoners as should simply promise to obey the laws for the future should be set at liberty and that the incorrigible should be sent to the plantations this letter was brought by burnet archbishop of glasgow but not being immediately delivered to the council by sharp the president one mckayle had in the interval been put to the torture under which he expired he seemed to die in an ecstasy of joy farewell sun moon and stars farewell world and time farewell weak and frail body welcome eternity welcome angels and saints welcome saviour of the world and welcome god the judge of all such were his last words and these animated speeches he uttered with an accent and manner which struck all the bystanders with astonishment the settlement of ireland after the restoration was a work of greater difficulty than that of england or even of scotland not only the power during the former usurpations had there been vested in the king's enemies the whole property in a manner of the kingdom had also been changed and it became necessary to redress but with as little violence as possible many grievous hardships and iniquities which were there complained of the irish catholics had in sixteen forty eight concluded a treaty with ormond the king's lieutenant in which they had stipulated pardon for their past rebellion and had engaged under certain conditions to assist the royal cause and though the violence of the priests and the bigotry of the people had prevented in a great measure the execution of this treaty yet were there many who having strictly at the hazard of their lives adhered to it seemed on that account well entitled to reap the fruits of their loyalty cromwell having without distinction expelled all the native irish from the three provinces of munster leinster and ulster had confined them to connaught and the county of clare and among those who had thus been forfeited were many whose innocence was altogether unquestionable several protestants likewise and ormond among the rest had all along opposed the irish rebellion 
yet having afterwards embraced the king's cause against the parliament they were all of them attainted by cromwell and there were many officers who had from the commencement of the insurrection served in ireland and who because they would not desert the king had been refused all their arrears by the english commonwealth to all these unhappy sufferers some justice seemed to be due but the difficulty was to find the means of redressing such great and extensive iniquities almost all of the valuable parts of ireland had been measured out and divided either to the adventurers who had lent money to the parliament for the suppression of the irish rebellion or to the soldiers who had received land in lieu of their arrears these could not be dispossessed because they were the most powerful and only armed part of ireland because it was requisite to favor them in order to support the protestant and english interest in that kingdom and because they had generally with a seeming zeal and alacrity concurred in the king's restoration the king therefore issued a proclamation in which he promised to maintain their settlement and at the same time engaged to give redress to the innocent sufferers there was a quantity of land as yet undivided in ireland and from this and some other funds it was thought possible for the king to fulfil both these engagements a court of claims was erected consisting altogether of english commissioners who had no connection with any of the parties into which ireland was divided before these were laid four thousand claims of persons craving restitution on account of their innocence and the commissioners had found leisure to examine only six hundred it already appeared that if all these were to be restored the funds whence the adventurers and soldiers must get reprisals would fall short of giving them any tolerable satisfaction a great alarm and anxiety seized all ranks of men the hopes and fears of every party were excited these eagerly grasped at recovering their paternal inheritance those were resolute to maintain their new acquisitions the duke of ormond was created lord lieutenant being the only person whose prudence and equity could compose such jarring interests a parliament was assembled at dublin and as the lower house was almost entirely chosen by the soldiers and adventurers who still kept possession it was extremely favorable to that interest the house of peers showed great impartiality an insurrection was projected together with a surprisal of the castle of dublin by some of the disbanded soldiers but this design was happily defeated by the vigilance of ormond some of the criminals were punished blood the most desperate of them escaped into england but affairs could not long remain in the confusion and uncertainty into which they had fallen all parties seemed willing to abate somewhat of their pretensions in order to attain some stability and ormond interposed his authority for that purpose the soldiers and adventurers agreed to relinquish a third of their possessions and as they had purchased their lands at very low prices they had reason to think themselves favored by this composition all those who had been attainted on account of their adhering to the king were restored and some of the innocent irish it was a hard situation that a man was obliged to prove himself innocent in order to recover possession of the estate which he and his ancestors had ever enjoyed but the hardship 
was augmented by the difficult conditions annexed to this proof if the person had ever lived in the quarters of the rebels he was not admitted to plead his innocence and he was for that reason alone supposed to have been a rebel the heinous guilt of the irish nation made men the more readily overlook any iniquity which might fall on individuals and it was considered that though it be always the interest of all good governments to prevent injustice it is not always possible to remedy it after it has had a long course and has been attended with great successes ireland began to attain a state of some composure when it was disturbed by a violent act passed by the english parliament which prohibited the importation of irish cattle into england ormond remonstrated strongly against this law he said that the present trade carried on between england and ireland was extremely to the advantage of the former kingdom which received only provisions or rude materials in return for every species of manufacture that if the cattle of ireland were prohibited the inhabitants of that island had no other commodity by which they could pay england for their importations and must have recourse to other nations for a supply that the industrious inhabitants of england if deprived of irish provisions which made living cheap would be obliged to augment the price of labor and thereby render their manufactures too dear to be exported to foreign markets that the indolent inhabitants of ireland finding provisions fall almost to nothing would never be induced to labor but would perpetuate to all generations their native sloth and barbarism that by cutting off almost entirely the trade between the kingdoms all the natural bands of union were dissolved and nothing remained to keep the irish in their duty but force and violence and that by reducing that kingdom to extreme poverty it would be even rendered incapable of maintaining that military power by which during its well-grounded discontents it must necessarily be retained in subjection the king was so much convinced of the justness of these reasons that he used all his interest to oppose the bill and he openly declared that he could not give his assent to it with a safe conscience but the commons were resolute in their purpose some of the rents of england had fallen of late years which had been ascribed entirely to the importation of irish cattle several intrigues had contributed to inflame that prejudice particularly those of buckingham and ashley who were desirous of giving ormond disturbance in his government and the spirit of tyranny of which nations are as susceptible as individuals had extremely animated the english to exert their superiority over their dependent state no affair could be conducted with greater violence than this was by the commons they even went so far in the preamble of the bill as to declare the importation of irish cattle to be a nuisance by this expression they gave scope to their passion and at the same time barred the king's prerogative by which he might think himself entitled to dispense with a law so full of injustice and bad policy the lords expunged the word but as the king was sensible that no supply would be given by the commons unless they were gratified in their prejudices he was obliged both to employ his interest with the peers for making the bill pass and to give the royal assent to it he could not however forbear expressing his displeasure at the jealousy entertained against him 
and at the intention which the commons discovered of retrenching his prerogative this law brought great distress for some time upon the irish but it has occasioned their applying with greater industry to manufactures and has proved in the issue beneficial to that kingdom end of section nine chapter sixty four part five recording by jim dennison j i m d e n i s o n dot i can voice dot com